This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome! This is episode 51 of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett, CSW. I'm here with... Michelle Petrie, WSCT Advanced. Woo! Advanced! I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm less than certified, who cares? (laughs) So what we're talking about is the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. We've got here District Wineries, 2017 Cuvée Noir, American Red Wine, produced and bottled. By District Winery, Washington, D.C. The only winery coming out of Washington, D.C., but there are no vineyards in Washington, D.C. There are not. <laughs> and so that's why our focus is something that uh, I've been avoiding for most of season one. And that's uh, talking about grape importation and grape trade across state lines and across the country. So a lot of these wineries that I, I've, I may have mentioned in passing that some wineries are getting juice or grapes or concentrate or whatever uh, from other states and other wineries. But we're going to focus on that kind of exclusively with this episode, uh, which will also broaden what I can review and talk about for season two and three. Because for season one, I've been trying to stick to either grapes and or fruit grown or in one case mead so honey sourced from that particular state Mm -hmm. uh, when possible just to kind of make it interesting for for season one and season two i want to broaden it up a little bit and this is a perfect way to broaden this subject up it's really an industry that is heavily prevalent that people don't realize yeah it's partly on the end of the wineries too because they don't want people to know that Oh, we actually got these grapes from California, and even though we're in Maine and we have this Barbera on our menu, there's like, there's no way you're growing fucking Barbera in Maine. But how did you get it there? Yeah. Well, you shipped it and you threw some lot of stuff on top of it to preserve it. Shipped it over, then crushed, then barrel. Can you imagine picking something? Shipping it across 2,000 miles and then crushing it? Yeah. What would the effect that would have upon the wine? Yeah. Um, it's mm. not always good. Uh, more times than not, it's More not times right. than not, it's, it's not it's good, good at all. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, it can be done well and done right when in proper conditions. And I think uh, this is one of the better examples. And I've tasted some really bad examples over the years. I was sufficiently impressed and, and liked this wine enough to grab a bottle of this, even though these grapes came from California. Uh, I make it sound like a bad thing because, you know, it's not like California is, like, good for grape growing or anything. <laughs> California is also really known for its bulk wine industry. Yeah. Even when you go to big shows and such, there are vendors that are just only producing bulk wine that are not of low-hanging fruits and of uh, low yields. They're producing the bulk for the big juicers. So 
Even when I was working in retail, we looked into a bulk industry wine as purchased fruit in order to create our own label. So a lot of times when you see retailers or just or anything that are producing their own label or even those online systems where you like click your own what I like kind of thing, that's of purchased fruit and that's of bulk wine that are producing of their own label. And this is some case for also a lot of wine clubs too. Uh, yes, wine clubs. The biggest especially. example I can think of is Wine Inc., which used to be Wine Wine W or what whatever the fuck it used to be. Uh, Wink is it now? It used to be Club W, is what mm. it used to be. Uh, and they are sometimes working with actual winemakers in the field, but most of those are specifically California winemakers that they're working through in the fields. Mm-hmm. In other cases, they're going to be bringing in bulk juice or wine that's already been made that they're able to buy and sell at a profit. Um, purchase, purchase juice that is made in bulk that is just in... And as the purchaser, you can select how the final product is. So they will go in there and chemically enhance or in dehance things that you don't like about the wine and then give you the finished product. Yeah. But in the case of district winery, it is not so dark. I asked Eric in the tasting room how these grapes are acquired, and he told me, flat out. So we bought these grapes from two vineyards in California. We shipped them over on ice mm-hmm. and then crushed them to send them there mm-hmm. at their production winery. So in this case, it's not bulk juice or, or any of those darker side. It's the scary part of the industry. The scary part of the industry. So always be wary when you're like, I'll take an online test and see if they have this, I like this wine. It's more than nine times than not. So chemically enhanced that it's probably not part of your healthy diet that you're trying to achieve. Drinking wine. It is. There's a whole book. Books on uh, the, like, what is it called? Oh my god! Like the in, like the chemical enhancements of wine. Yeah. Like I mean, there's a whole industry of it. There is, and we've talked to people like that in at our winery that are pitching these products. They're coming to you like an artist is like, oh, we've got oak tannin, and we've got mega purple, we've got blah blah blah, and blah blah Let's blah. Let's just put a dropper in and, and just drop it. Just one drop is all it takes. Mm-hmm. Just one. And like people, chemicals. Yeah, and, and people wonder why. Hey, this California wine gives me a headache. Because that's why, not the yes. sulfites. Because all this chemical shit that's in there. Yeah. And not because of all that other clean stuff that's coming out of the, the good winery. It's because you drank too much. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that is true. Now, again, this is not according to what Eric at the tasting room has told me. None of that stuff has gone into the district winery, anything at district winery, let alone this particular vintage. But again, these are darker aspects of the wine industry in the U.S. that you should keep in mind. They are aspects that I haven't really talked about, but now I don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) By and large. So let's let's smell. I also actually do have a picture of the tech sheet. Ooh, so well, I can you do have it. to read it off. So, yes. Uh, shall I do this in Byzantine chant? <laughs> sure. Why <clears throat> not? The District Winery Cuvée Noir, Vintage 2017, Batch D008, Appalachian American Brand District Winery. Description, Cuvée Noir is my version 
of a Cote du Rhone with a few twists. Always Grenache based, the splend of varieties and vintage will change with every bottling. For this batch and this vintage, I took Grenache from Madeira, California and blended it with Petite Syrah to create a medium body and smooth yet complex wine. 55% Grenache, 45% Syrah, Petite Syrah, excuse me. Um, also Lodi. Um, so Madeira, California for the Grenache, Lodi, Petite Syrah. Technical specs, 350 cases produced, 13.90% alcohol, pH at 3.69. TA, total acidity at 5.29, 5.29, not 5.21, kidding, at least. <laughs> uh, no residual sugar, yes for malolactic fermentation, yeasts that were used, which I love. Rome 2056 and BDX. You know all reds should go through malolactic fermentation. Oh, yeah. It's like funny that they mention that because all reds do. Now, that being <laughs> not all, I have tasted one red from Colorado that was a Syrah that did purposely not go through mallow. It was fucking weird. <laughs> and there's a reason why. Yeah, I was just like... <laughs> I don't know if I like this or not. <laughs> if you if you question it, the answer is always no. <laughs> yeah. I, I drank two glasses because I still couldn't decide after yeah. the end of the second glass and the bottle was gone by then. Yeah. It was not a wine for this podcast, by the way. This yeah. was... Uh, uh, so once upon a time, uh, years before I started this podcast, I actually did have it as a mind to, I'm going to drink 50 bottles of, of American wine from all 50 states and then it fell apart and then I didn't do anything with it. And then the podcast idea, it's like, well, I should do that and actually turn it into a podcast. And then, because nothing is so fun as sharing knowledge and infecting it with, on other people. That's the fun part about wine. It is. Sharing it with people and educating people about it and seeing their eyes light up is the best part yes. of the wine. Except industry. when their eyes start to glaze over. Well, then yeah. you knew just how to lose too much. But. Even the that and finding that special wine mm. that is not fifteen million dollars or whatever. It One is. of my favorite parts when I was working the tasting room at Passion was basically watching people come in that were terrified of wine. That I don't know how to how to drink this, and this is scary because it has big words involved. <laughs> she's like, it's alcohol. It's okay. It's not rocket science. Just drink. If you like it, then that's what you yeah. like. You That's the problem with the wine industry. It's so overthought and so... Like, wine writers try to make it feel like, oh, I have to know all these adjectives in order to be educated. You know what? That's bullshit. Yeah. Because what you taste is going to be different from, from what, what I... I taste. And as long as the wine is balanced, as long as the wine is has focus, and as long as you enjoy it, who gives a fuck? Yeah. The only definition of a good wine I've ever decided to use is one that comes courtesy of Bianca Bosker of Cork Dork. I don't know if you've read that book yet or not. Mm -mm. And she was told this by one of her mentors at Tour Wine, Tour a wine bar in New York. If a wine is good, it must be yummy, and a yummy wine is one that you keep when you have finished glass. You go for another. 
That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, and doesn't that's all. It, it doesn't have to be more complex than that. No, it doesn't even be so complex as I, if I like this wine or not. Because sometimes you don't know if you like a wine or not. But if you go back for that second glass, you like it's it. Yummy. Yes, absolutely. Um, case so in point, don't overthink things. Yeah. Case in point, uh, between these couple of podcasts that we've recorded today, the other will be much later in season two. Um, which was a Viognier uh, taste off. We've been drinking this really, really tasty grower. It's a grower champagne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, grower champagne made from 100% Pinot Meunier. That I was just like, this is beautiful. That was our palate cleanser. That was our palate cleanser. <laughs> a so grower anyway. champagne of Pinot Meunier yeah. from the Aube. Because mm. we're gangsta. Yeah, like throw that. it out. <laughs> throw All right. Down. Smelling notes of distant wineries. Corkscrew draw. <laughs> All right, so it's a very jammy. Yeah, super jammy. It's got those classic characters that I prominently, prominently, that's not the word I'm looking for, but I've had a few that I often associate with petite Syrah. That mm-hmm. sort of bergamot, orange peel, black tea type thing. Even though the alcohol is lower than our second wine is going to be, which, no spoiler alert, but it feels like it's high in alcohol. Which which, is, the Petite Syrah in this vintage is coming from Lodi. Well, it's going to be, yeah. It's a shit ton of sun. Yeah. So the sugar's in this. (laughs) Sorry, all I'm thinking now is the bell words. It's like, taste the sun. The sugars in this is probably feeling a little bit high as well as the alcohol. So something has to have been done in order to lower the alcohol levels and keep the sugars high. And my guess was partly that was done in the vineyard and maybe that was, excuse me, also done during production. It could Um, have been. In that case, because we know, I, I can't remember where Madera Vineyard is in California offhand. Where, who, what? Madeira. Madeira? Madeira Vineyard in California? Madeira? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I thought you were saying Madeira. I'm like, well, the island of Madeira is no, the coast. Is... <laughs> yeah, the Madeira. I'm like, all my mind always goes back to Madeira. So. <laughs> Madeira, sorry. M-A-D-E-R-A. Uh-huh. Not to be confused with Madeira, which is an absolutely beautiful dessert wine that is not um, going to be part of not this podcast. Not only for dessert, it is for everything because it's one of the holy grails of all wine. This is true. It does bear with anything and everything. It also is apocalypse proof. So if you're looking for a bottle, if you don't know anything about wine and you want to age a bottle for your child's 21st birthday. You want a vintage Madeira. Or even a non-vintage Madeira that you just bought that year and you write the year of the birth on it. It will be foolproof. And after you open it, it only gets better. It never goes bad it's weird and awesome and glorious it's made by the special powers that these guys back in the early 18 1700s were like i'm gonna put this on a boat and it's gonna cook its ass off in the boat boat. (laughs) why not a boat and then you're cook the shit out of it and then it's gonna be good 
That's how Madeira's made. And then we're going to gather some slaves on the way, because this is what you do in the oh, 1600s. Oh, that's just the negative part of the story. <laughs> yeah, but sadly true. Unfortunately, yes. But yeah, that's part of it. Madeira. Scurvy. <laughs> yes. Madeira, slave three since 1863. What are we going to do a Madeira? you got to do a Madeira podcast. I wish I could, but I could do, I guess, one of those California Madeiras. We were going to look to see what vintages of Madeiras I have, because I know I have at least two. I have a 2002, and I have a wall uh, thingy. Thingy. Mm-hmm. We have to look. <laughs> These are very technical Madeira terms, yes, by the way. Especially very technical. Okay, so this district winery is very jammy on the nose, very alcoholic on the nose, but you get a lot of dark fruit, blackberry. A little bit of eucalyptus. Yes. Eucalyptus, black tea. Which, for me, eucalyptus is always reminiscent of our. Um, Australian wines or even some South African wines but may not necessarily be a good thing. Yeah. It's like it's over-ripened. Yeah. Which is... Because it's too hot. It is Lodi that the fruit is coming from and being of bulk nature. Well, bulk fruit probably. Bulk fruit they do tend, especially from those warmer areas, get to be a little bit warmer. Yeah. Especially if you're not in control of when the picking is. And not only that, it is also quite possible that when this was picked, it was not the right time, as you pointed out. Yeah. And also you might, and now this is me not knowing anything about what is required for shipping grapes, but me guessing, maybe you want them overripe when you ship them because they'll lose some character otherwise if they're not maybe overripe. For sure, yeah. When you're making the wine in the other place. Now, I don't know, but it seems like a logical thing. Yeah. And it makes me think of how in Prohibition era, mm-hmm. everyone was shipping Alicante Boucher back to the East Coast. Were they really? Yes, to make wines. Because, and this is the case with Alicante Boucher anyway, the grape skins were so thick that you could like pile them on railroad cars with those super thick skins and they'd still be relatively okay. Huh. And also because yeah. Alicante Boucher has the red juice, it's a Tentenurier, mm-hmm. special wine term for wine that is red juice and red fruit inside, in fluffy air quotes. Because, of course, I am now I'm a Because we're air quoting. <laughs> you can't see it, but we're air quoter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it could be in that case that, again, you want your grapes when you're picking them and shipping them cross-country to be a little bit overripe. Because otherwise, you would lose some characters during the shipping. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. That could be, for sure. In this case, prob- from what I was told, they freeze the grapes after they're picked. And then ship them over and then they thaw. And maybe that thawing also interferes. Oh, absolutely. Because, because they're getting that condensation onto the grape skin. And also also some of that concentration, too, of the juice. Mm-hmm. Which is probably uh, making this jammier than it would otherwise be. Even though it is a lower alcohol, 13.9. This smells, on the nose, like something that's a full 1% or more higher. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was doing this in blind, I would say, like, this is probably a high alcohol. It's mm-hmm. not, though. See, that's when those tests would screw you over. Because mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, this is like 15 alcohol. And they'd be like, F you, it's 13. <laughs> Fail. Fail. <laughs> you are the worst sommelier. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so 
on the palate, it's surprisingly light. Yeah. And that was what struck me about this wine when I tasted it earlier today in the tasting room mm-hmm. for District Winery is that, yes, the, the nose is completely different mm-hmm. than the palate in terms of lightness. Like, I was expecting this to be much bigger, much more full-bodied, much more petite Syrah-driven based on the nose. But the nose is intensely petite Syrah-driven. I'm not getting anything on this nose. That, to me, screams Grenache, mm-hmm. which admittedly is usually cherry. Yes, it's got that cherry cola kind of mm-hmm. nose yeah, to but it. But that's the only thing that makes me think, oh, there's something else in here other than Petite Sorrel. Yeah, but, which always could be because it only has to be of a certain percentage to be labeled on or even to be recognized. Although this is not a, a label as a varietal blend. No. It's that's just the Cuvée Noir. Noir. So the red blend. Mm-hmm. Cuvée, for those who don't know, is a French word for blend. Oh. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? It is. <laughs> this is a, a really stellar red blend. For for Washington, D.C. wine, which yeah. has no representation because there is no vineyards coming out of it, it has yeah. to be purchased fruit. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., it is nothing but pavement fucking city and traffic galore. Yeah. So where are you going to grow grapes? You can't. You have to yeah. purchase. This now, is a nice representation. That being said, back in the day... There apparently was a vineyard in one of the parks in D.C. Probably Potomac. Probably Potomac and, of course, torn down. Well, of course. Because prohibition. Also, we can't have that damn near wines in our damn near state capital. They just lifted the prohibition law for just for having distilleries in D.C. like five years ago. Oh, wow. So distilleries are the new hot thing in D.C. because now they are just being able to represent... So a lot of the older, like they have, um, they'll have bourbons and whiskeys and such that are older of age. They're not, they're purchased from IGP in yep. Indiana. Because, but they're slowly starting like, dist- oh my God, what is it called? District, District Distillery, I think it was called. They had a white whiskey for a while and they're the first ones to come out with a brown whiskey oh, that nice. is aged in dc so it's it's starting to come around because it takes time it yeah. takes you know it you takes have, at least two years in barrel before it can be it gets the color before it even gets color yeah and that's if you're if you're trying to cheat and do smaller barrels yeah then it just tastes like cotton mouthy and gross but yeah. if you're trying to do it right it takes at least five years so they're just now starting to come around yeah. so it's a really exciting time for washington dc as a whole yeah because of the distillery and then District Winery opened up recently. Yeah. So it's and there's really... been apparently a pretty strong brewery scene in the capital for a while. Oh, yeah. Brewery, a uh, small batch brewery and such has been around for like Atlas Brewery and Port City and uh, the DC one. I cannot remember the top of my head. But Man, this isn't a beer podcast. It no, don't matter. I don't like so, so our comparison wine for our Rhone style It's the blends. worst because this is all I had in my cellar. This is the, the only thing Michelle had in her cellar that was Rhone. It's a Chateau de Pop. All she has is Pinot Noir. What the fuck? All I have is Pinot Noir from Burgundy. So terrible. It's terrible. That is champagne. <laughs> Like the the two worst wines ever to have in your cellar. I know. <laughs> and we didn't open any of them. That, that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> so this is the Clos du Montolivet. 
Uh, Shatton of the Pop. 2016. So it's two years older and wiser. No, it's a year older and wiser. I can do math, I swear. So Clomont Olivet, uh, if you don't know, Chateauneuf de Pop can have... 13. Oh, it's Olivet. Oh, it's Olivet, not Olivet? Well, it depends on where you're from. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> I mean, if you're from there, I have no idea. But I, I don't know why I always said Clomont Olivet. Please do not send us angry emails correcting Please. our pronunciation. Please. I actually love Famille Sabon Je- Joseph, so please invite me to your winery. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> invite me too. <laughs> so these guys are fantastic. They're much smaller for a Chateauneuf de Pop producer. Um, if you don't know, Chateauneuf de Pop can produce 13, up to 13 different varietals into the wine. And of course they will never tell you because it's 13 different ones that they keep secret. I mean, there's a master list of grapes that are allowed. Yes. And I think that list actually has like 18 grapes now. But Is point, it up to 18 now? I think it's up See, to 18 I'm now. not up to date. That's okay. <laughs> I could be wrong too. Changes all the time. But the point is, they're not going to tell you the percentages by and large, but the general rule of thumb for mm-hmm. most Chateauneuf de Pop is that in order to be called Chateauneuf de Pop, because again, all of these things go through a tasting panel, so there's always some sort of percentage that's going to be close to the same, is that they're generally at least half Grenache. Yes. And, and considering that uh, our district winery, Cuvée Noir, is 55% Grenache, it's well within the realm for uh, Chateauneuf. So these guys, actually, I think for this particular vintage, they usually make an upper-level Cuvée mm-hmm. for their Chateauneuf de Pop, and they didn't this year because it wasn't... Good enough. Good enough, they didn't. So they took those grapes and brought it into the Chateauneuf de Pop. So this is actually a higher-level Cuvée without being labeled a higher Cuvée. Because they didn't have enough to do that. So. Speaking of olive, definitely olive Yes. Definitely. So versus the other one, which is which jammy. Yeah. Olive is olive yeah. <laughs> It's definitely got a more neutral kind of nose to yeah. it. That kind of briny. More earthy dumps. and briny and, and, and olive, the other things you normally associate. All the puns. <laughs> Hey, hey, I like wine puns. I think they're great. They're hilarious. But I think it's a matter of a Pinot. So straight up, it smells like these Castle Toronto olives. I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Briny and earthy and... Not just, heavy. Not heavy. So it's like I the first one, the nose smells... <laughs> which is not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so like Choking on shots and if the pop is about third or fourth on my list of ways I'd rather die. Yeah, right? Um, it is a baby. It's only 2016. Yeah. So for Chateauneuf, I also feel like if you, when you drink it, if you drink it, you drink it young, like within the, like a year or two or so, it kind of goes to sleep and then you drink it in 30 years. Yep. <laughs> or in, in between, between, you're decanting it for two or three hours. Yeah. Which we did not do. we just opened it up yeah. like an hour ago or so. But three days from now when she finishes off this bottle, it'll be fantastic. Yes. Not that it doesn't smell good now. No. It's just, it feels a little muted. Also, not that she's going to wait three days to finish it off. Oh, but, hell you know. no. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to wait three days? That's my For problem. a shot to do, fuck that shit. I know, right? This is going with chicken. <laughs> spicy. Intensely spicy on this. 
I get a lot of clove, licorice. Minerality. Lots of minerality. Nice acidity. Like, it feels so light and vibrant. Not that the district winery, it still felt light and vibrant on the palate. But But there's there's a different sort of vibrancy here. Yes. And again, you know, perhaps this is not the best and most telling and and most... This is probably not the best side-by-side pairing we're doing, but hey... That's what I got. It's science. <laughs> but no, I, I I like District Winery enough to the point where it's like, hey, can, I, I'm going to send you guys my resume. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, sure. So. For sure. Come here, then we can do this all the time. That'd be terrible. <laughs> On my wallet. So many wines. Although Plus, I, this place is one of the most expensive places to live. Let yeah. me tell you. Like, like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to be able to afford any of my wine now. Because I will say that's a good thing about living in Arizona is that I have a lot of extra budget for wine, mm. and which is why my cellar is like grown exponentially to the point where it's now. And this is before adding in all the bottles I've gotten for acquired as a result of uh, under the table work. Uh, over the last month. Yeah, my cellar right now is at 356 listed bottles, and I have at least at least two more additional cases. Yeah, I know. I need to drink more. Do you see it? Mine is like nothing compared to yours. <laughs> However, you have a lot of Pinot, and I have only... Five Pinot Noirs in, in that entire stash? I have majority Pinots and a lot of champagne. And I only have like three bottles of champagne in my entire stash. Yeah. So yeah. You, in some ways your cellar is better than mine. But it's, you know, it's still, it could be better. I will grow it someday. Yeah. When they make the pennies. <laughs> After living in D.C. Which, if you're interested in living D.C., I forewarn you, the housing prices are obscene. <laughs> Everyone wants to be close to the swamp. I know, right? We're inside the Beltway. If you're inside the Beltway, minimum 500 For a decent house that's not, like, tear down. Right? 500 I could buy a lot of wine with that. Right? He's getting the broccoli. (laughs) Do you want some wine? Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. But anyway. Anyway, um, anyway, anyway. So, um, in comparison-wise... The district winery definitely has some lift and some acidity to it, like the Chateauneuf de Pop does. The flavor variety... Fruit varietals are going to be a little bit different. Yeah. But it's still a nice representation of the GSP, you said? Um, actually, I'm calling this a GPS. GPS? Because <laughs> it's Grenache and Petite Syrah. <laughs> and it's not a GSM. Which no, it's we, not. Which or is as typical. I, a, as I like to sometimes call them to make people feel awkward. A jism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, but it's still, I mean, because Chateauneuf de Pop is going to be, like, of our last ones, like the Viognier, the Condrieu, which is later in the season, so yeah. that won't make sense. But still, the Chateauneuf de Pop is pretty much the baseline. The yeah. district winery 
is a nice representation of the GS GPS. Right? Well, Rhone style as a whole. Rhone style. Now, as specifically, a whole. this would be a GPS because it's Grenache and Petite Syrah. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in Arizona who's been in what he calls an MSG because it was mostly Mavedra driven with Syrah and Grenache. And then you add that little accent. Thing. <laughs> yes. and, and then, but basically, a lot of these are known generally as. GSMs, because they're Grenache Saran Vedra. This is not probably previous vintages of the Cuvée Noir are GSMs, but in this case, it, yeah, for this year, it wasn't. And it's really fun. I really... It was fun. This was fun. I think I was gonna... pleasantly surprised by the district winery, which I had very low expectations going in, knowing that they were going to be of purchase fruit and knowing the district as a whole... Like, yeah. Now, and again, going back to the main point of this episode about purchased fruit. Purchased fruit does not mean a bad wine. No. Let me say that again. Purchased fruit does not mean a bad wine. Purchased juice does not necessarily mean a bad wine. It's less likely to make a good wine. I will say that, bluntly and forthright, winning. But... It doesn't mean a bad one. And if you're in a place where you want to make something and no one's growing or you can't source the grapes you grow because even for their wines that are sourcing from Virginia, like their Petite Mansang orange wine, which is, I thought, really fun and interesting. But you're like, I'm not tasting it with Michelle because you're like orange wine. Exactly. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm keeping that for myself. <laughs> And all my friends in Arizona who like orange wine and petite mansang. Have your party. (laughs) We'll have our champagne party, okay? That's tempting to join in. But anyway, purchased fruit does not mean bad wine. It does not. No one is growing petite Syrah in Virginia. No one is growing petite Syrah in Maryland. No one is growing it in West Virginia. So if you want to make a petite Syrah and you're in the D.C. area, you have to import from the West Coast. It is just what it is. As long um, as you get those relationships and as long as you're doing the best you can to make, produce the best wine you possibly can, then it's all gravy. Yeah. And, you know, for a $23 bottle, this is a phenomenal red. Yes. It's a, it's a good quaffer. Yes. It is tasty. Yes. And I'm about to read the list of fucking grapes for Chateauneuf to pop. All right. Because, uh, fuck it, why not? Chateauneuf du pop. The House of the Pope. New House of the Pope. New House of the Pope. I don't know French. Je ne comprends pas. That's all I know in French. Each face is niche. <laughs> I, I don't, don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> in <I> German. <laughs> so here is the list of approved grape varietals in Chateauneuf de Pop. Now, any Chateauneuf de Pop can be any blend of these varietals, but it is mostly. And this may be in order, I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Eh, whatever. Grenache, Syrah, Mourvedre, Bourbon Blanc, Cinso, Claret Blanche, Claret Rose. Cunoise, which I love, uh, actually on its own. Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, Muscardin, Picardin, Picapool Blanc, Picapool Gris, Picapool Noir, Roussan, Turret Noir, Vacarese, and for some reason, why is there no Marsan on the list anymore? Did they switch that? I don't know. 
Okay, apparently not Marshawn anymore. Whatever. <laughs> I bet you they throw it in there and just say. Yeah. <laughs> Marshawn. But anyway, on that note, gang, we are going to finish our Rhone-style wines in peace. There will be a few bonus episodes aired after this for season one to round it off. One is a birthday recording from our often co-host, Megan, also CSW. It's her birthday party where we actually drink a cold duck from the 1970s. A what? Yeah. A cold duck? Cold duck. Cold de ente. From Henry Marchand in New York. Whoa. That had been aging for... Since the the 1970s. 70s. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It was interesting. I don't even even know what to ask first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tune into the episode and you'll... Absolutely! And then... Episode 52 will be a special bonus episode. There's only one thing I'm going to tell you about that. And that's, uh, Olay. <laughs> it's Mexico, folks. We're, we're doing a Mexico episode. Oh, tequila? No. No. There. It's a... Mexican wine. I've heard it's... Mexican wine. Yeah, there's a couple that are distributed in D.C. It is a Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé from Casa Maduero, which is the oldest producing winery in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. Yeah. Again, no spoilers. You're going to have to listen to the episode to to hear more about it. Then after that, we'll we'll start with season two. But on that note, let's make America grape again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. Followed by, you know, Psalm is just a level of douche. Psalm is, I hate it when people are like, oh, you're in wine, so you're training to be a Psalm? And I'm like, fuck you. I know more than 90% of the Psalms out there. Because they're nothing but a bunch of douchebags who think they can serve properly and such. And so one time I was in the wine shop and this guy comes in, he starts asking about Burgundy. He starts asking about like, oh, Monerija Borg and about Clos de Tarte and all this other stuff. And he started mentioning this one, uh, Rumier. Rumier, which is a big Burgundy producer. And I was like, well, I've actually had a couple of Rumiers before and I find them not, like, I find Monerija Borg a little bit cleaner and more brighter. And he's like, look at me. He's like, are you calling Rumier bready? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did that come out of my mouth? I just said I think Monerija Borg is a little bit brighter and clean, a little bit brighter and fruitier than the Rumiers are, and I like them better. 
So then what did he do? He was a fucking New York Psalm. He went over to the distributor owner and tattletailed on me. Oh, this girl I saw at Arrow Wine, she said that Rumier was bready. He comes to me, he's like, you say that, Michelle? I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. I'm like, you serious? This whiny little bitch tattletailed on me? <laughs> like, really? Be a fucking man and talk to me about that in my face. Like, are you serious? <laughs> really? Let's go tattletale to the distributor. Oh my God. Mm. I don't give a fuck who you tell. Grow a fucking pear. Jesus. That was a funny day. 